Right. It was a crazy day yesterday. If you haven't been with us two weeks ago, we put a bucket up here, and it said give 10 on it. And lots of people put $10 bills in. As a matter of fact, we did it across all six Radius campuses. And at the end of the day, it was $19,000, rounding it off to $200. A lot of money to give away. So we tried to come up with the best idea we could to figure out how, how could we do something like God does and just scatter those tens. We were doing that on purpose. We wanted it to be kind of a parable for us to learn from as a church. And so we came up with this idea of a gas buy-down. Well, the way ideas work, they don't always work exactly like you thought they did. So there was a lot of flexing yesterday, and we, we figured some stuff out. But as a matter of fact, like our goal was that it would be shocking, that it would shock our community a little bit. This morning, I, I always take a little time at Lizard's on uh, Sunday mornings to get ready to come in here, and I could hear the waitresses across the restaurant going, there's some church, they were giving away $10, but it was awesome. I was like, hey, hey, hey that's us, that's us. I, I, I didn't do it, I didn't do it. It was cool. So we showed up at the Speedway yesterday. The manager there's name's Linda. She's awesome. You ever go to the Speedway over here by Moe's? Go in and say hello to Linda. She's, she's a sweet lady. Um, and thought that if we were giving away $10 cash, like we'd have a line, right? Like they'd be backed up. Turns out in Batesburg, they were backed up, all right? So only one, one location. But at Speedway, it, it, that's really not how it worked. We thought, boy, once the first group come through, they're going to, like, text all their friends, and it's going to be overwhelming. Some of them did. You could hear them on their phone. Hey, they give away $10 bills. And, and, and yet, they just, they just didn't come. It was fascinating. I thought at some point we'd have, we never had a lot. We had too many volunteers because uh, we just didn't get the movement. It was one of the first times you ever show up to volunteer, and, and I handed everybody $500 in tens. It was awesome. They're like, uh, and you stick it in your pocket. It was, it was just this awkward deal, and we started working through and working through. We're going to have to figure out another way to get this money away because nobody's coming here to take it. So we worked our way to the street. This is your adjustment. This is why I love doing these things because then you get to figure it out on the fly. So, so David and Stevie and I went up to the street with $10 bills, like, like $110 bills, and you're waving them like this at cars that have to stop at the light, and people, like, their faces were priceless, right? Like, they're trying to, they're, all this computing's going on in their head. And uh, Erica had made us these signs, like, it's $10, seriously, there's no catch. As a matter of fact, if they rolled the window down, I'm like, there's no catch, there's no catch, I promise, there's no catch, because there's all these questions in your mind, because so counterintuitive to anything else going on in the world, right, when something's given to you. I wrote down my observations just so you can process it with me. One of my favorite was, there was a lady, I, 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 I'm not throwing her under the bus, I might have done the same thing, right, she's late 60s, and she pulls up to the light, and I got my sign. I'm holding a sign that Erica made, and, and I got the tens in this hand, and she's literally, like, making sure she doesn't look at me. Try not to look the other way, because that'd be rude, but she's, like, focused on the light. <laughs> and I'm right here. I'm right there. Now, I get it. Like, <laughs> I'd be afraid, too. Like, there's, there's some fear going on there. Nobody blames them on There's all this skepticism, right? You'd be, I'd be skeptical. If, if somebody was doing this thing and there's all this processing going on, my, some of my favorites were there'd be some guys, they would feel a little bit more comfortable. They'd roll down the window and you, you'd try to hand in the tin and then they'd, just, they'd start chuckling and, and, and they'd take it. And, and then you have some that they were, uh, I don't know, just independent. Some of them were in a hurry. 
Like $10 ain't worth stopping my car. That light is green. I got to turn right. I don't want to hold up traffic. Um, there were several people that we met that actually said, um, I don't need it, which, which was interesting and cool. We actually had a few folks, like, give us money. I'm like, man, this, this is crazy, man. <laughs> I can hand them a 10, they give you a 20. I'm like, we're making money, man. We try this more often. Like, they wanted to get in on it. That was awesome. Like, you're going, okay, we, we, we're together on this. It was, it was interesting, like, how disrupting it was for just regular people on a Saturday morning trying to figure out, like, it, it just disrupted them in, in, I think, some good ways. At the end, like, we're never going to go home if we do this one tank of gas at a time. We couldn't get it all given out the street. Like, we're failing miserably. Matter of fact, at the street, we probably got 10 times more no's than yeses. So eventually, we went to Waffle House. Pretty successful at Waffle House, by the way. It worked pretty good at Waffle House. <laughs> Walmart parking lot was classic. I could give some tens away in the Walmart parking lot. Matter of fact, I'm out there like, I ought to do this every week. This is unbelievable. Like, it's, so I got to have all these interactions, as did the other guys. Greg went over there with me in the parking lot, and it was, uh, it was crazy. Here, here's what the receivers, the things that I wanted you to hear. Um, a lot of them were hesitant. Some of them were takers. They do this all the time. Anytime there's an opportunity to get something, they just take it. So I was, you know, a little disappointing. The folks that were hesitant, it was, it was pretty fun to interact with them. And the laughter was, was probably my favorite part other than this. For me, I, I don't know how many I gave out. About five people came back and told me thank you. And the way they did it was like, I mean, it's just $10, right? Like, but it, it had power to them. The people who laugh, like, they're just enjoying, like, they got it. They're enjoying it with us. But then there's these other folks that, like, there's, there was a guy at Walmart. He didn't speak English real well. And he was really skeptical when I handed him, I tried to hand him the tent. And you're doing it like this because you're worried about your arm. But, like, you're like, <laughs> like, I finally, I gave it to him. He took, he started walking to Walmart. He, I, I'm keeping him in my periphery. He gets all the way to the door, and he turns around and comes back to me. And he, he, he kind of stands near me before he says anything because he didn't have great English. And finally, just, he realized, hey, this, this is for real. And he, he just said, thank you. It was, it was awesome. I got one of the cart guys from Walmart, and uh, he, he was the same. He was just incredibly thankful. Hey, this is our story. I'm not telling my story. This is our story. You put the $10 in the bucket. We, we're just giving to folks that, you know, some of them, it was a powerful. Some of them just took. Right? My favorite was a lady at Walmart. She had her daughter. And evidently, I really forced the 10 on her because she was, I just like, and you kind of got frustrated with people not taking it. So you just like, mm, take this. Anyway, see, I, I gave it to her. She went in and she came back out and she came to me. She goes, I took this because, and she used the word I was waiting for all day, right? She goes, You shocked me. Like, it shocked me that you were good. And so I just had to, I just took it and I came in. And she goes, But I don't need it. And so she, gave, she tried to give it back to me, and I said, you got anybody, you know anybody who needs it? She's like, oh, I don't know. Oh, I, well, I, this restaurant I eat at, I'm going to give it to the waitress. I said, let's do that. Like, like, be shocked by it, take it, and then give it away. That's how it's supposed to work. That's how grace is supposed to work, right? It's shocking and to the point like it's so counterintuitive. I cannot believe this is true. And, and in some ways, many of you who have met Jesus, like, like it was almost forced on me like he put it on me he did the work and then and then when you really begin to understand 
what grace is, you've got to tell somebody else. You've got to take what was given to you and pass it on to somebody else. It was terrific. Thank you for participating in it. Um, it was super enlightening for me. Here's two things I observed as a giver. And then we'll quit. We'll get into scriptures. Um, I was an ambassador of your $10 bill. We had many. We probably had 150 between all six campuses. Folks out there handing out $10 bills. First of all, it was really fun. It was really fun to give away $10 bills. And secondly, it was really frustrating because the whole time I, I knew this was free, but all these people thought I was creepy. <laughs> right? Like, so you're, you're frustrated. How do I get over the fact that they think that I'm creepy? Right, so eventually we put Kinsey out there with a sign so that maybe they wouldn't think all of us old guys over here were creepy, right? Like, like see, could you, so you're trying to overcome all these things. You're trying to push through this counterintuitive thing that they're working. So it's really frustrating to explain grace to regular people because it doesn't make sense. And then finally, it was, uh, and I'm, I'm a little hesitant to say this, there were times where I was embarrassed. It was humbling. I'm like, what am I doing? I'm standing out here on the street stopping cars, right? People looking at me like I'm weird. And you wonder, what, what are they thinking? Are they thinking that uh, I'm soliciting something or thinking that I want something? Do they feel like, you know, as a leader here at Radius, uh, that I'm handling our budget really poorly? We're handing out tens <laughs> on the street. Um, I wondered about some people that are going, hey, what? You're giving people $10 bills. What are they going to spend it on? Are you, are you paying attention to what you're doing? <laughs> Literally, we saw folks go in the street, Speedway, come out with some stuff. We probably wouldn't have encouraged them to buy. It was like it was, it was a little out of control. So in many ways, I thought afterwards, it'd be way easier to sell Girl Scout cookies. <laughs> like, I got a product. You're paying money. This is how the world works, right? You feel a little... little a little bit for me because I'm a young lady and I'm selling cookies, so you want to help me out. But nonetheless, I'm actually giving you some really good cookies. You can get sick on those cookies. Like, really good cookies, and you're giving me money, and there's this exchange. The whole world understands that, but not this. And so when we take this book of Galatians, and the Apostle Paul is talking about this idea of grace, he, he's trying to get it through our thick skulls. That the gospel represents something that we did not earn. That the cross of Christ is a gift to you. And in many ways, it's pushed on you by the living God. We'll read the text and hopefully some of that will make sense. Let me pray and we'll read a little bit. All those faces I saw yesterday, Lord. I wish I saw them so clearly when I'm just out and about, but yesterday it was, I got them embedded in my mind. So we pray for our town. We pray for our neighbors. Pray for our families. That you, Jesus, that you would commission the Holy Spirit to explain the gospel to them. That they'd understand the good news. Even this morning, Lord, a lot of us, we know the good news. We know the gospel, and yet we forget it, and we get caught up in this overwhelming tide of you get what you pay for, and we forget how much we've been given 
through you, Jesus. So remind us this morning, send us out the door even after these few minutes together, uh, happy and joyful that we've been given such a great gift. Lord, I, I, I keep having this word power go through my mind all week. And I recognize uh, I have none and you have it all. So as we, we talk about these verses, I pray that you would demonstrate your power by working on us, everyone. F folks that have heard these passages over and over to someone who's never heard it before, demonstrate your power in our room today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we ended last week. We're, we're going through a little book in the Bible. Just so you know, this, this book is called Galatians. It's written to a specific group of people in an area, in a region. Uh, in our case, we'd be Lexington. You could think of that as Galatia. It's an area. And the writer, Paul, is writing them a letter. And we call it a book because it just kind of works for our deal, but it was actually a letter. And it was delivered to the churches, not just a church, but to the churches in that region. And he's really concerned. If you were with us last week, I'm going to repeat a couple verses. I'm going to start at verse 8 and read. He's a little fired up because, uh, actually, he's really fired up. Because it seems like somebody's coming in and distorting this word I've been using, the gospel, the good news. Let me read it to you, verse 8. Let's, let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again, let me say it again, in case you didn't understand, he used the Greek word anathema, which is like in your face, condemning word. Let me say it again, I say again that that we have what we've said before if anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcome let that person be cursed he fired up he's in their face and then, and then this is amazing verse verse 10 obviously i'm not trying to win the approval of people but of god if pleasing people were my goal i would not be christ's servant that verse i, I i've read it for years and, and it, it just grabs this question inside of me uh, I, I read Chuck Swindoll's uh, a commentary on this, and he, he said the exact same thing. He's got this little journal entry on this, this season of his life where he's really concerned about what everybody thought about him. I thought about it yesterday. I thought, man, this is embarrassing to some, to some degree. This, this whole idea of distributing grace is it's embarrassing. I, I look so opposite of everything. I didn't feel better about it. It was, it was embarrassing. There's something to it that made me worry about what you or the people on the road over there the other day thought about me. I don't know if you know this, but if you're a Christian, the Bible says that you're a stranger in this world. Some translations actually use the word alien. Not like the movies alien, you know, not, not like, you know, the crazy aliens we see, but like you're, you're set apart, you're different than everybody else. And there's something to that that, like, doesn't necessarily puff you up. It can be embarrassing. It's all of a sudden, you can be worried. Man, this thing called grace is so counterintuitive. I don't necessarily want to represent it. And Jesus, I mean, Paul is actually saying, hey, if I wanted to be famous, right, if I wanted to be super successful, man, I'd be selling Girl Scout cookies. That's what I'd be doing. I'd, I'd be doing something else. But Christ, you're going to see here in just a minute, he's going to open up his story. He's going to say, I've been transformed by him. My life's totally different, and I got this, this freedom now. I can't shut up. I've got to say it. I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. I wouldn't be up under his authority 
if it was about pleasing men, but I am because he saved me. I woke up uh, one of the mornings this week, I can't remember, Tuesday or Wednesday, I was praying a little bit, and I just, I had read this article about a yes face and a no face, I, 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 can't, I can't tell you about it, cool story, but I, thought, I think I'm praying with a no face. I think I'm talking to God, but I don't want to hear him tell me what to do. Anybody else? Like, you're here this morning. Need to be here. You're disciplined. I appreciate that. Right? But I don't really want God to tell me what to do. Anybody? Look out there and see if I see any no faces. I saw a lot of no faces yesterday. Like, I know what they look like. Like, like there's, there's this, I, I'm speaking to God. I can even open up the Bible and read the Bible, but read it with the no face. Anybody else? Like, I'm busy. I got to get through this life. I don't want to stop. I don't want to consider. I don't want to think about somebody other than myself right now. Oh, Paul says it in a pretty amazing way. He says he wouldn't be Christ's servants if he was trying to please men. And so then he unpacks his story. Verse 11, dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel, the good news, the message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source. No one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. It's a long story. I don't have time to develop all of it, but he's saying, hey, this thing that I'm communicating, the gospel, the good news, I got from God. Direct, divine revelation. Does that make anybody else uncomfortable? Like, this dude is saying God spoke to him, and now he's telling us this. He's telling the Galatians this. You got a divine revelation. I don't know if you remember this in the verses before, but he actually said, hey, this is so directly from God. If an angel comes and tells you something different, what if an angel showed up this morning, took my mic, and like, which would be the end of me. Y'all have to like, come to the funeral later, right? Like he gonna, and he took my mic, and he said something different than what Paul has taught here. What, 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 Paul's like, don't go for that jump. I don't care how big he is and bad he is. He's like, ain't no vision going to make this thing different. Don't let a vision come to you. It's always somebody. somebody but I, I, the gospel just doesn't feel right. Like the younger generation in the room, there's a whole lot of talk about feelings. It doesn't feel right. That doesn't seem right. Paul's saying, hey, even if an angel comes, even if you have this vision, what, Muhammad had a vision, right? Uh, Joseph Smith had a vision. And I'm like, wait a minute, you're, you're telling me not to believe a vision, but you're saying you had a vision, Paul. Don't believe those guys who had visions, but you had a vision. Well, the difference is Paul's is corroborated, right? Like, there's hundreds of witnesses. He goes, I, had, I actually met with Jesus, but his meeting with Jesus matched Peter and James. We'll see that in a couple chapters. Hundreds of witnesses. He's, he's not talking about something that's wild and out there. He's talking about history. That's why we call it the good news. It's already happened. He's not talking about what's going to happen. He's talking about what's already happened, and it's corroborated. And he's like, hey, don't go for anything else. And I love, I love what he says because it shows, shows humility. Even if I come back, you know any preachers who've lost their way? i got some really good friends who've lost their way. Even if I come back, if I ever lose my way, don't listen to me. Bow me out. I already told Cheryl, if my name's ever on a sign out there, it's time to put me out of pasture. Right? Like, like, that ain't me. Like, we ain't doing that. But if, I, if there's ever anything spoken on this stage that doesn't connect to the truth of the gospel, it's time for me to go. 
Paul's like, if I come back and say something different than this, you throw me out. It's not about man. This is a direct revelation from God. So, like, it is clear, and the question is, will we respond? If it wasn't, there'd be no power to this message I'm speaking to you now. If this was just something intellectual that I put together and tried to get you to listen, it wouldn't be worth listening to. This is a direct revelation from God. Paul's got a direct revelation from God, and he's putting it out there. He, he, said, he says that the gospel is the grace of God given to men who believe. Let, let me just try to unpack that a little bit, because I think there's some confusion on it. Uh, in the verses before, he actually uses this word, pervert the gospel. I don't have time to get into it, but he, he, he actually means to reverse the gospel. So the gospel is this. That I received the grace of God. Not very complicated. And, therefore, because I've received the grace of God, I live a good life. Anybody else? Like, God changed me and I live a good life. But to reverse it, what does it look like? I live a good life, therefore, I receive the grace of God. Paul's like, well, you reverse it. And it's not the gospel at all. We got lots of folks in our community. When you talk to them about Jesus, they go to how they live. You cannot live in a way that makes you deserve the grace of God. His grace is held out to you. Your only action is to believe. Now, when you believe, it often changes everything. Now, Paul unpacks how it changes everything to him. Verse 13, you know what I was like when I followed Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church? I did my best to destroy it. I was ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. He says in verse 13 and 14, I, 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 I. Four times he says, I. My whole life was revolving around me. I was selfish as heck. Except he was self-righteous. Right? You, know, you know dudes that are selfish and they abuse all their friends one way or another? You know ladies that are really selfish? It's really easy to see, right? And they abuse all their, they're taking from everybody in their radius. You know, you know these people, right? And then the self-righteous just do the same thing, except they do it in this elitist kind of way, where they look down on everybody in the radius. So as they, as they compare themselves to you, they, they take energy off of that. They're just selfish as heck. Paul's like, that's who I was, verse 15. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. And so he was all about himself. And then a couple of translations start verse 15 with, but when God. I love that. Like, like but when God. He, he did something. God did something. He broke in on me. I'm the object of God's action, says uh, uh, one of the guys I listened to, it happened to you. Everybody in the room, you know what I'm talking about, that, that knows Jesus. You remember when he broke in on you, when there was power there. C.S. Lewis uh, talks on this passage. By the way, C.S. Lewis was not a Calvinist. When you're reading this, if you're a Calvinist, you're like, there it is, bro. There it is. Right? Like, this is exciting. Talk about C.S. Lewis, kind of smart, dude. He wasn't a Calvinist, but he would say, hey, God broke in on me. I didn't have anything to do with it. Romans 1.16 reads like this. 
For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, good news, for it is the power of God to salvation. The gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. So if there's anything you did, you believed. But I'm really afraid in the South that a lot of us know what to say and say that I'm a sinner and Jesus died on his cross for me, for me, and I've been saved, and he came into my heart, something like that. But the power of God has never really come on you. Like, you know the right words, but it's never really penetrated your heart. It just looks different. Matter of fact, if I were to have everybody say amen, like we go old school Baptist right now, or if I just go, uh-huh, which, like, you, you just say that if you remember the day when the power of God came on you. I don't mean dramatically. I don't mean like anything. I didn't start crying. I didn't, you know, do anything out loud. There was just, there's, there was this clear, I can remember it. Like, it, it's just different. I was different when, when, when it was, when it happened. I don't even know how it happened. I, I didn't initiate it. I, I wanted, I believed at some level, but, but he came on me. to that when you think about the anemic state of the church in Lexington, South Carolina, in our nation, where we seem to be caught up by every cause but the gospel. You wonder if we've kind of started just going through the motions, or we kind of believe in intellectually, or I'm, I'm here because this is what my mom and dad did, or this seems right, it feels right. I would argue, no, it is right. It's a revelation from God to us. It's clear. And, and then there's this other part that is that's otherworldly where he comes on us. So many people I know get their words right, but there's been no change. They're nice guys or they're nice ladies, but that, like there's no like power to them. But then God. He says, before I was born, God chose me in the NLT and called me by his marvelous grace. I I love that. Uh, He says that he set apart. He called me by his marvelous grace. So so God did this work, and he set me apart. He saved me. I'm an alien. I don't fit anymore. I I work on this other concept called grace. C.S. Lewis was at a uh, convention back in the day. Again, super smart guy. If you don't know who he was, one of the most influential believers of, of modern history. He's at a conference, and it's one I wouldn't go to. It's on comparative religions where all the smart guys go and argue and have fun, I guess. That's what they're doing. Uh, and they're debating what sets Christianity apart. And so um, the incarnation, the virgin birth comes up, and, and, and folks are like, no, nah, no, nah, other religions have a story like that. So they kind of rule that out. And evidently, C.S. Lewis was not in the room yet. And he walks in the room, he hears discussion, and he goes, oh, that's easy. The thing that sets Christianity apart from all other religions on the planet is what? Grace. It's this word grace. And then, then uh, he says this. After some discussion, the conferees had to agree that the notion of God's love coming to us free of charge, no strings attached, seemed to go against every instinct of humanity. The Buddhist eightfold path, the Hindu doctrine of uh, karma, the Jewish covenant, the Muslim code of law, 
Each of these offers a way to earn approval. Only Christianity dares to make God's love unconditional, a work that only he does. You cannot earn it. Which makes it really awkward to communicate. Right? If I hand out a daggum $10 bill and say, really hard to communicate that this is free because that's not how anything on this planet works. I'm here, I'm, I'm telling you, every religion on the planet operates like selling Girl Scout cookies. You're exchange, you have to work for it. You're taking your money and you're buying it. And Christianity is handing somebody a $10 bill. It's free. It's hard to understand. And Paul's like so rocked by it that his whole life changed. His whole life, he'd been striving and working to the point of killing people. He was so dedicated to the cause. You saw that in the passage before. He's so dedicated to it with his religious zeal, with his self-righteousness, that he'd even kill somebody for it. That's why people are so attracted to any cause that comes out, whether it be political, whether it be social, that the cause will capture you. Because you just want to have meaning in life. And, and generally, you just want to be right. Paul's like, I've been freed. I don't have to be right all the time anymore. Then it pleased him, being God, to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. Well, it's really interesting that you're set apart, and then there's this because you've been set apart, because God has grabbed you, that now he, you're given this job. A lot of people like to use this word calling. It weirds me out a little bit. He uses the word call in this passage. Because I think sometimes when you hear calling at church, you think John was called, Russell was called, the pastors were called. I, I, I'm here to tell you, if you've been born again, if you've been saved, if God has placed his grace on you, you've been called. So I, I don't like it to be like this separate group of people unless it's all the people that have believed in Jesus. You've been called. Now, Paul's radius is massive, right? Paul's radius. He's going to write 13 books of the Bible. He's going to travel all over the world. He's going to be arguably the greatest missionary of all time. That's his radius. That was his responsibility. What's yours? Because if the gospel has been put on you and you're sitting here feeling the freedom that I am, like we've been set free by the gospel, then you got this responsibility. You got a radius. We named our church after it. What's yours? I'm not saying it has to be huge. You got kids, they're in your radius. That, that's, that's you, right? You got parents, they're in your radius. You got neighbors, coworkers. That's who we are. And so we're the ones in the world with the $10 bill. And the question is whether we can get over the awkwardness as they, that we present this thing that's so counterintuitive around everybody to get it out of our mouth. I just want to be really clear on this. The majority of the room works in the marketplace, right? Not in ministry. You are no less called than I am. As a matter of fact, I'm really confident that God has you where he wants you because he's never out of control. He's got you where he wants you. And the reality is often days I'm frustrated I'm not where you are because you got contact with a radius that I can't get to. And so there's, there's not like some kind of hierarchy of callings. We've been chosen by the living God and transformed by his son's body broken on the cross and trusted 
with the Holy Spirit. So as a team, as a family, he puts us in, in Lexington and gives us this opportunity to represent him. It's nuts. So whether I'm looking around the room, I'm thinking of all the jobs you guys and ladies do, no matter where you are. The question is, is my life his life? And if my life is his life, then I'm under his kingship. Then I represent him wherever I go. And that is an honor. We get here on Sunday mornings and we put bread and juice out every week to remind us that he's the king, that he paved the way, that he put grace on us. And that way, oftentimes, CB used to close out the deal. Jeremiah Jones, back in the day, the last words they would say, hey, hey, we sat here for an hour and a half, but we're going out there. Like, take what, you, take what you've been encouraged by this morning. Take it out there. That's what we want to do. Let me read you a couple more. Paul just telling about his life. When this happened, when grace was put on me and I was changed, I did not rush out to consult with any other human being, nor did I go to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Before I was. Instead, I went into Arabia, and later I returned to the city of Damascus. So Paul's saying, he got knocked off the donkey. If you don't know the story of Paul's conversion and blinded, and a dude came and shared the gospel with him after Jesus interacted with him in that moment, and Paul believed. And after he believed, he actually says, here's what I did. I, I went out into Arabia. I went out to be by myself. Uh, it's hard to figure exactly. In verse 18, he's going to say, then three years later. So whether he's in Arabia three years, when he went to Damascus, we don't know. But he was alone most of the time. Just him and God. Just hanging out. Him and God. Sorting out this relationship that now has freedom in it because he's been given this free gift from God. Like he's got this freedom about him. all He's just sorting it out with God. As a matter of fact, like it's a really interesting concept. Like who are you when you're alone? Like when you leave here, the gospel is often more real when you're alone than any other time. Like it's a great way to evaluate if is God real to you. You remember when you finished high school and you went away to college, some of y'all, some of y'all was a long time ago, going to be really hard to remember. And some of y'all just did it. Like you're going to this new place and it's this new fresh start and you walk in and, and there's this group, Campus Crusade for Christ or FCA and all of a sudden like you're away from the old and you're hearing this new thing and then you're in your dorm room all by yourself. One of, one of the guys I know that came to Christ at Clemson, like, he was in his dorm room all by himself. He just got in some trouble for some, something. He's interacting with God. He was alone, away from his family. He's got to sort this thing out. And he believed that night. A lot of other folks go the other way, right? They get alone. They were following Jesus while they're in the youth group, and the youth pastor was speaking into them. And then they got to Clemson, and it was like, man, there's freedom. And just, like, it, it hadn't really penetrated their heart. Just, and it goes away. Same when you get done with college and you go get a job and now you're in, you know, Birmingham and you're working by yourself and, and you were in college and you had Campus Crusade and all that good stuff and now I got this job and I'm all by myself. Did it really penetrate your heart? Does it stick or does it go away? Some of y'all tell me you love Radius Church, but when you move, you're going, if, if it really penetrates, if it really changes you, you can't go, hey, there's no Radius Church here, right? Like when it really penetrates, it transforms you and you got to find some other believers, even if it's not exactly like this, because you've been changed. But us, certainly not me. It's the gospel. It's got power. 
It's got power to, like, it, it makes sense intellectually, like in a counterintuitive kind of way, but then it penetrates our hearts as put on us. True? Last couple verses. And three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter. And I stayed with him 15 days. Like, he, he's basically saying, hey, I hung out with Peter. He's like the pillar of the church, right? Like, he's the most famous Christian you could hang out with. He's the authority of authorities. And we hung out for 15 days. That's all it was. Because I had heard from God. Like, this was God's revealed word to me. And when I hung out with Peter, and then the other apostle I met at that time was James, the Lord's brother. And I declared before God, what I am writing to you is not a lie. Like, I hung out with them. And what I really like about that is he's, he's saying, and we agreed. They had walked with Jesus on the planet for three years, and I hung out with them for a few days, and I found out that God's revelation to me was the same as his revelation to them, and we agreed. I didn't get it from them. I got it from him. One of the things that we really strive for at Radius, no matter who the preacher is, I hope you get this, man. We, we want you to know God. Not us. Ain't nobody up here trying to be famous. Like, we don't want to be the source. We want to point you to the source. He's our source. Paul's saying the same. After the visit, I went north to the province of Syria and Cilicia, real places, and still the churches in Christ that are in Judea didn't know me personally. All they knew was that the people were saying the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he, faith he tried to destroy, and they praise God because of me. And Paul, Paul's saying, oh, I am changed. I used to be that, and now I'm this. And because of that, people are worshiping God. They're celebrating God who God is, not who I am, not the way I preach, not the, like they're celebrating who God is. Looking around our room, I know those stories in this room. Uh, for you folks in the room, just addicted, it's, it continues to be a battle, but you're just different. Like it didn't used to be a battle, right? It, it, it used to just own you. And since you met Jesus, it's a battle. And, and oftentimes there's great victory. There's even seasons of victory. We celebrate with you. You were this, and now you are that. And we're not talking about perfection over here, only in God's eyes. Like, you were this, and now you are that, and we celebrate with you. And it makes us want to worship God. We see that change. Some, maybe you've met somebody who's really fearful, and they believed in Jesus, and now they're really not. They're bold at times. Do they slip back into being fearful at times? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but at times, all of a sudden, something will come out of her mouth. You're like, what did she just say? That wasn't, she used to be like this, and now she's like, that. she's changed because of the gospel. Anybody know somebody selfish that got saved? I know somebody really close to me that was super selfish. And he and I were hanging out recently. I'm like, he, he's just really come to Christ in the last two years. I'm like, it's just weird being with him. Like, it used to be just a drain because he's so full of it, right? Like, always about himself. And, and then now, the next thing you know, like, did he just ask me a question? What the heck? Does he care about my story? That's the weirdest thing. Like, he's changed. He was like this, and now he's like that. People say this about you. 
If you're a believer, that ought to be said about you. I mean, a work in progress. Don't get me wrong on this side, right? But the celebration is about the middle. This is who you were. This is who you are. And this is who he, this is the one who changed you by putting grace on you and giving you the ability to walk this planet with a freedom that you couldn't before. I don't know if you know, notice this about Paul, but he had this deep disdain for anybody who disagreed with his view on the world. He hated Christians. He's still a powerful guy. You read this verse and you feel nothing but powerful. So he hadn't changed. His personality hadn't changed. He's still that guy. He's super smart. He's well-read. He knows the Old Testament. Inside all that's true. But God put him in a spot so that he could take all of that even prior and be able to be an instrument for God going forward. And all of a sudden, he's not so concerned about what people think. So he doesn't have to hate everybody. He's not angry all the time. He knows the world's going to hell because they're separated from, from Christ. So he wants them to hear the good news as opposed to constantly just saying the world's going to hell. And he writes this book in desperation because he wants people to have the freedom that he has. Do you have it? For real. Do you have it? And if you do, we're going to sing good in a minute. Because that's good news, man. That's good news. That means he chose you, and he put his grace on you, and he set you apart to do what? To share his good news with his, your radius. So this morning, as you get ready to come up and take bread and juice, you may just want to pray for some people in your radius. I don't know about you, but on occasion, I can't get it out of my mouth. It's awkward for me to speak of the gospel. For others in the room, uh, perhaps this thing has just not penetrated your heart. Like you know it. If I asked you what the gospel was, you could actually put it in words. But you're not different, and your story doesn't reflect the story that I just told. I'm trusting uh, with my, my feeble attempt of explaining this passage that the Holy Spirit in his power will work on you if you'll just sit quiet here for a minute as we sing. Or you can sing as loud as you want when we sing. We trust him. We often do this. We, we just, after I'm done talking, I'll pray for a little bit. It gives you a minute just to reflect. We ask everybody to think about if you believe in Jesus, come and take him bread and juice because it's a reminder. He said to do this in remembrance. It's a reminder of the work he did. It takes our eyes off of what we're doing and we put our eyes back on what he did. And then oftentimes a song, one of the songs that we'll sing will catch your attention. And you're going to eventually just want to belt it out. It's what we do together. We need it. All of us do. Jesus, uh, I want to understand your grace talking about it half my life, Lord, and yeah, I still don't feel like it dominates me. So I confess that. I even struggle on this stage to make sense of it for friends and family in this room. So I pray, Holy Spirit, you would make sense. You would overwhelm us with your grace, the definition of your grace. But also, Holy Spirit, that you would just, I don't know if forcibly is the right way, but you would just break in on us in this room. 
always scares me, Lord, that folks will come to Radius and call this their church. Maybe even, even able to put their words together right. But uh, have not really given you permission by believing to put your grace on them and have it penetrate their whole being. So I pray that you communicate that clearly, even in these moments. When we take bread and juice, Lord, we try to remember the day you asked the disciples to do this. We pray even as we try, Jesus, that you would meet us as we come up and take bread and juice, that you'd meet us like you did those disciples. Help us see the suffering that you uh, went through to give us life and then put in our hearts a joy because of your deep love for us. I love you. Amen.